Well, I want to say something else, and I'm going to go on record here. I think inflation has peaked. We just saw what I, I think. There's no guarantee that I'm correct here, obviously. But I believe we just saw the highest inflation rate we're going to see. When July's inflation numbers come out, it's going to be lower, and it will co- go downhill from there. Yeah, I tend to agree. One of the, you know, I've got a lot of stuff on that subject. This isn't just guesswork. We're, we're not rooting for it or not. I mean, personally, I'm sure everybody knows we would prefer not to have inflation. I think everybody would feel that way. Once more into the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, welcome to another exciting episode of the Personal <laughs> Wealth Coach. Sometimes, it is exciting. Sometimes more exciting for us than for the rest of the world. And people go, why oh, are yes. you guys so excited? Well, we don't know if we're on the air sometimes. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs uh but uh today that's how we're starting our episode yeah uh we are uh, a a finance program as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title the personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program it's also the name of an sec registered investment advisory firm all right well does that mean that the sec likes us what would you say to that sir i would say that the sec is a professionally dislikes almost everyone right that is no implication of the sec's approval just because we're registered with them why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is and it's less disclosureable it takes less time to do if it's just the same name so we've been doing this program here uh on this in on this station 1400 AM in Temple since 1996. That's a long time for those of you who are wondering. That's 20. That was in another millennium. Another Another century, another millennium. Yes. And sometimes it feels like millennia ago rather than millennia. Right. Got it. Um, We've been doing this a long time and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, We also have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational, and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think 
we're going to be having some vacation time coming up later this month. And you may just have to say it if we have reruns playing. You may right. just have to say it in the middle of the day to get it I out of I say it in the system. middle of the night. And, and it's, it's, this is one of the very few places or circumstances under which you will hear that said correctly. Because said information, in most cases, uh, you see in print. And it's actually should be printed information. And, said, and we say said information at the end, which is accurate. Unless it's a transcription of this radio program, and then through the laws of the meta, uh, it is no longer accurate. But that mm, which w- but it was remains, accurate when it was presented. This would be accurate in print or out. The accuracy of unsaid information cannot be guaranteed. Oh, I can. I can guarantee that unsaid information is incomplete. I didn't say complete. I said accuracy. Oh, well. That's right, but it may not be accurate, too. Well, I mean, anyway, we can't guarantee it, that's for sure. We probably ought to talk about economics and stuff because that's what we're supposed to talk about. Yeah, people kind of like to listen to us for that rather than, well, maybe also because we banter around about nothing. We could, do, we could be like a prospectus and do disclosure for two hours, and nobody would listen, but we would be like a prospectus. But anyway. Yeah. But what happened we this could, week? The fantastic. stock market. The bond market, the oil market, all continued to exist during the week. Anything else you want to know? In some form or fashion, they existed. Right. First uh, few days of the week, the um, S&P 500 stock index, the one that we follow as the general indicator of the market, was kind of bumping along in the mid-3800s, which is pretty much where it's been comfortable for a while. And then when uh, the consumer price index information was released by the labor department um incorrectly but they always release it incorrectly so at least it's consistent uh it bolted down to the third low 3700s as people let me tell you there's a lot of folks who are in the market invested who are looking for an excuse to get out which is we can talk about the psychology of that which is is a very strange thing but they do that they any excuse and they sell and then, but Friday, uh, we got another little piece of economic news from the commerce, the com, the com, the comical or co- commerce department. Actually, I like the commerce department better. It's the Bureau of Economic Analysis and the Commerce Department that releases information. It said that that the uh, retail sales were up one percent in the month of June alone. Now, that if you want to annualize that, in in a lot of the data that's released, statistical data about the economy. Some of it is quarterly, some of it is annualized, some of it is monthitized. And some and of it is weekly, if you're talking about jobless numbers. Job, right. And so they, it, it's very confusing unless you translate them all to something. A 1% rise in the month of June in retail spending in the United States is a 12% per year rise Actually, it's a little bit more than that. It's about 12.1%. April has 30 days, so it's a, on average a smaller month right. than other months. But that's not adjusted for in these numbers. And the naysayers, the, the pessimists, the people who want to talk us into having a recession so it'll be, they'll be correct, uh, of course said, when you consider that inflation, the, the consumer price index was up 1.3% in the month of June, and consumer spending only rose 1%, and that wasn't adjusted for inflation. We're going backwards. No, 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 no. Let's annualize everything, or let's not annualize anything. Yeah. CPI comes out. It's, an, it's wrong, but it's annualized. And it was annualized at 
it, it admittedly 9.1%. Well, then we should analyze, annualize the June retail spending. That's 12%. That indicates that people are still growing their spending. And that's one of JP, the causes of inflation. JP Morgan came along and said, yep, 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 yep. Our words to that effect. Uh, they said consumers are spending in the in the first quarter and going into the second quarter are spending a lot of money on credit cards, a lot more than they were in the past. And by that, not necessarily borrowing more money, but they're using the credit cards to buy more stuff, which is an economics term that we use. Uh, commercial loans are up 7% in the quarter. That's not annualized. And if you take that 7% in the quarter, again, if you want to do like consumer price index and GDP, if you want to annualize it, which the government does, um, that's like a 30% per year rise in commercial loans. Whoa. Are, are we jumping the gun? Are we putting the gun in front of the horse or are we jumping the car? I think so. We haven't talked Something about the like markets that. yet. All right. Let me get through the market. Yeah. Well, the this markets, is good that's stuff. the reason the markets went up. Yeah, it's good, uh, the good, markets. Good at the at the end of the week, the S and P five hundred jumped right back up to where it was, pretty much in the middle of in the beginning and middle of the week. It did actually wind up down zero point nine three percent. It closed at thirty eight sixty three point one six one six. It's down nineteen point four percent from its high in early January. It's down ten point seven two percent from a year earlier. But we think it's a good idea to put that in perspective. From before the pandemic, before all this whiplash and bullwhip and all the other kind of things went on, from three years ago, which is middle of 2019, the S&P 500 is 30% higher than it was at that point. That is an average annual return over the last three years of 9.08%. It's really hard for us to be depressed right now. I know a lot of people are worried about the market, but most of the worry is coming from people that jumped into the market in 2020 and really haven't experienced on their own a downturn. So yeah, we, anyway, I'm interrupting the market again. To right. Talk about we stocks. actually prefer the CRSP us mid cap value index because we're value investors. And in an end of the week at 2255, it was down 0.38 notice less than the S and P 500. Uh, it's down 13.17% this year, again, less than the S&P 500. And it's down, it is 5.54% uh, from a year ago down, uh, which is something we like to see because we're prejudiced in this area. We think value should do better than growth and the mid cap value index should do better than the S&P 500 in the long term, but we'll see. Um, U.S. Treasury note. Declined about 5%. It's now below 3% at 2.924%. Uh, the thought on the from the people who are trading is, as were sampled by the Wall Street Journal at least, uh, said that uh, they don't think the interest rates are going to be really high over the next 10 years. Uh, so they're coming back down. By the way, when you see the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, which we put in our newsletter every week, why is that important? Because the consensus then of a lot of people around the globe is that 2.9% is a good yield to keep up with inflation or to near keep up with inflation over the next 10 years. And are, are actually to pull ahead of inflation because that's what they want to do, which indicates that the consensus of a lot of very, 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 very wealthy people in countries is that this high inflation rate will not continue. 
uh, 3% 10-year treasury is consistent with about a two and a half to two and a quarter percent inflation rate over that period. Um, the two-year note, however, yields 3.132%. So the two-year note, two-year treasury note, has a higher yield than the 10-year note. And the two-year note has a higher yield than the 30-year bond. That's called an inverted yield curve. It's not severely inverted, but it is a little bit inverted. It's mildly inverted. If it's for it needs to keep doing this for several weeks before it goes into the position of where it's forecasting a recession. If it is forecasting a recession, it's forecasting a mild one probably in 2023. Now, here's another thing we need to point out. The inverted yield curve does not always is not always an accurate prediction of a recession. Correct. In other words, we've never had a recession without an inverted yield curve. But we've had but lots we've of had, inverted yield curves without yes. recessions. Yeah. And we've had very, very mild recessions with inverted yield curves. And a severely inverted yield curve, which we've had a few times, where the short-term rates are much higher than the long-term rates. Yeah, there's a recession coming when that happens. Uh, so anyway, let's see. The oil, we got to talk about Earl here, right? Earl, yes. Black gold, Texas tea. Here it comes. We the the price of oil has been coming down. Yeah, it's kind of nice. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, otherwise affectionately known as WTI, is now below a hundred dollars a barrel. Uh, it's about ninety seven dollars and fifty five cents. Now, why is that significant? Before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, when it was assumed oil supply would be plentiful, relatively speaking, the futures contracts indicated that there was a high probability of $100 a barrel oil in July. And sure enough, we're near $100 a barrel. So actually, our oil prices in the United States are pretty much normal. And, and you look at the, the problem, of course, if you look at the, the price at the gas pump and it's $4 and something a gallon, which is a lot better than $5 a gallon. But it still stings uh, for, a lot more than what we've right. seen for a while. The important thing to recognize about that, at least I think it's the important thing, is that is a very normal price for oil at this point. If you factor in inflation, those of you who can remember when gasoline was 35 cents a gallon here in Central Texas, Wait, there's, I can that's remember like that very well. Maybe two people in the audience still still around. No, I think there's you know? more than two. I can remember 25.9 <laughs> at Shamrock. No, I'm just saying um, we only have two people in our audience. That's, that's it's you and me. Right. <laughs> it's probably true. Uh, but the point is, if you plug in inflation from the good old days back in the early 1970s, early, early 1970s, before the Arab oil embargo, uh, when gasoline was was 25, I mean, 25 to 35 cents a gallon. If you plug in that 35 cents a gallon and you plug in inflation between then and now, you will discover that gasoline costs about the same now as it did then. Now, here's the second issue. Cars got on average about nine or 10 miles per gallon at that point. Now the average is up around 30 miles per gallon. And of course, if you happen to be driving a, 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 an F-350 pickup truck or, some, or an F something big that passes everything but a gas station. Uh, you're still at 20 miles a gallon. Yeah, you're probably still getting better gas mileage than cars were. Uh, back when gasoline was 25 and 35 yeah. cents. So and if you look at really, on average, it's like yeah. a third the price, not even, I mean, right. after inflation and everything else by usage. And that's another thing is that our usage this year is down from last year. 
So mm-hmm. these are all factors that we look at. Go ahead. So that's working and it's working across the board. Uh, so that's, that's the extent of what we generally talk about. There's, there's other things in the market that we won't go into any detail. Suffice to say that commodities have come down very nicely. Yeah. Copper is like a lot. way, way down. And people are saying, this is a forecaster for a bear. We've not seen copper drop like this. But then you go back to look at what it was before the pandemic. And it's not that far. It's doing fine. It's a normal price for copper. It's just mm-hmm. the differential from when people thought that copper was going to be, I don't know, leaving the solar system or something. Well, copper turns into gold every once in a while. Yeah. And then it turns back into copper. And why it's good to see the price of copper coming back down. And the reason it's good to see the price of copper coming back down, it means that demand for copper and anything we make had just about has copper in it from houses to cars is, is lower than it was because the supply hasn't changed that much. Uh, and, and that indicates that the federal reserves desire for the acceleration of the economy to be reduced is happening. Yeah. And, and, I, I would, and I, you, you said the supply ahead. hasn't changed that much and you're right, but the supply chain has, we're getting access to that copper much easier, which is allowing it to flow better, which is if you can say that copper flows, it does it when does. it's molten, I suppose, but as it's flowing, the price is coming down because there's more and more places that can get it for you. When it was just a few people that could get it and it was hard to get, then their prices were much higher. So that's what we're seeing. The, the supply itself, we've actually got a backlog of supply in copper exporting countries, and that's why we're seeing the price drop so much. It's an inventory buildup somewhere, and it's now seeping into the market. Well, I want to say something else, and I'm going to go on record here. I think inflation has peaked. We just saw what I, I think. There's no guarantee that I'm correct here, obviously, but I believe we just saw the highest inflation rate we're going to see. When July's inflation numbers come out, it's going to be lower and it will go downhill from there. Yeah, I tend to agree. One of the, you know, I've got a lot of stuff on that subject. This isn't just guesswork. We're, we're not rooting for it or not. I mean, personally, I'm sure everybody knows we would prefer not to have inflation. I think everybody would feel that way. For some reason, there's a lot of economists that are like staking their ego and their professionalism on whether or not we're in a recession or whether or not inflation is over or it's about to spike. It shouldn't be about the ego. It should be, are we in a recession or not? What are the things that we're looking at to make that decision? It's impossible to be unbiased on this. I just have to lay that out there. Everybody makes an opinion known, and then once the opinion's known, if new data comes in, it's hard to take the new data if it contradicts what you've said before. We try. We're trying. Particularly if you've said it really loudly and you've been quoted and you're in print as having said it. Right. Headline says, two bald men say, fill in the blank. Of course, we're lucky in that we're not that famous. So our egos aren't tested by looking at new data and saying, oh, well, that will fit and say we've got other things to look at. Um, This is kind of a bridge into one of the questions that that we've got here. Uh, And I want to say that before we move forward, when we look ahead and and you made you just said you were on the on the record as saying, I think inflation has peaked out and that we're going to see lower numbers into the future. Just as as a side note, that doesn't mean inflation went away or inflation is done. If we have a big number like a nine point or a 10 point or an 11 point something out there that says inflation's really ramping up and then next month it's a seven point increase instead, 
That's still seven points more than what it was. We're not saying inflation is done. We're saying this like crazy amount inflation is starting to be handled. It's it's starting to be absorbed. Anytime you have runaway inflation, there's parts of the economy that benefit from it far greater than others. And if you're outside of that part of the economy and you look over there and you say, hey, I could make money over there, more money than I am now, more people flood to that part of the economy, which causes the prices to start coming down. We're starting to see that as well. Freight traffic expenses uh, are way down. Um, Now, when we say way down, what does that mean? The spot market for... Uh, it's called FBX Asia West Coast rates for freight. Freight, if you're talking about how much does it cost to move one of those shipping containers, and by the way, that's how it's measured. It's in. It's called FEU, forty foot uh, units, um, and that's what cargoes. I mean, you see them on on trucks and so on. The number has dropped drastically, sixty five percent down from the peak we were talking about at the peak is just that it costs so much to ship something anywhere and and this is the big route it's the asia west coast it's the the trip from china essentially or vietnam or japan or south korea to the west coast which is where most of the electronics stuff comes from so a big part of our economy is is measured in the shipping it's down 65% from the peak, but it's still five times higher than it was pre-COVID. So, and during COVID, it dropped to almost nothing for a little while. So it's really hard to measure, is this good, is this bad? Well, we can say it's better than it was a year ago, a lot better than it was a year ago. So we're starting to digest this. Does that mean it's not expensive anymore? No, it's still, it's still five times higher than what it was pre-COVID. We're still experiencing inflation, but the supply chain issues are starting to get untangled. So that's when we say, hey, we're not seeing the crazy buildup in prices. The prices are still building. Eventually they'll level off and maybe drop because we're seeing inventory build up, which means things have to come on sale soon. All that stuff means that what you just said is not going as far out on a limb as it sounds. Inflation's not gone, but we think it's peak. There, that was a really long-winded explanation. No way that would have a headline unless you just cherry-pick some words that don't mean what I actually said. If this is a recession, by the way, we said this at the beginning, and I think it's important to recognize that. This is the strangest recession since we've been measuring recessions. Um, it would only be because, a recession because of semantics, really. Right. Uh, I think the... Um, who. I forgot the name of the board that determines if we have national National Bureau of Economic Research. Yes, an an Inber board determines we have a recession. Sometimes by the time they get around to saying that was a recession, it's over with. Usually usually that's the case, actually. And we mentioned this first hour, but I think it's important to, to get our minds wrapped around this. We don't have a real trade deficit because we export a product called dollars. And if it were if it were anything else we wouldn't measure it that way. Dollars are not something we mine out of the ground and we have a finite quantity of. The Federal Reserve literally can manufacture an infinite amount of dollars if it wants to. And they're used not just as money that we pay out to somebody to buy something. 
the Chinese use dollars to buy minerals from Africa. Uh, they use dollars to buy oil. Uh, the Russians don't like it, but they have to use dollars to buy oil. People don't want their rubles for some reason. So it's a product that is considered to be very, very valuable around the world. And as a result, we really don't have a trade deficit. And if you take the trade deficit and add it back into the official GDP, you suddenly realize that first quarter wasn't negative, it was positive. Um, the very high probability that when the GDP numbers are released for the second quarter, they're going to be negative. So we will have two negative quarters in a row, which traditionally has equaled a recession. But recessions are always, and I want to emphasize this, always accompanied by significant drops in employment, high unemployment. And we're having record low unemployment. This isn't, if this is a recession, it is not going to be a real recession. And if you, and we used to count trucks to determine when there was a recession when we lived in Georgetown and drove to Temple on Saturday mornings. But I can tell you, as our offices are right by I 35, there is no shortage of trucks on I 35, there is no shortage of commerce. The economy is going like gangbusters. The economy, if in, the economy, if anything, is going too fast and needs to slow down a little bit. So if you hear recession, don't get scared. I don't think NBER is going to come out and say there is a recession. I don't think it's they're going to because there isn't one. But there's going to be a lot of people being scaremongers and tell you because it's scaring you, get you to listen to their television broadcast or read whatever they're putting out over the internet or in the paper or whatever. This, we are entering, in my opinion, into an extended period of economic prosperity. The roaring 20s is repeating itself. And this is a good time to hang in there and keep going. We mentioned first hour, and I want to say this again, the market's down. Sure, it's not down 20% anymore, but the S&P 500 is down. But its three-year average annual rate of return is over 9% right now. So if you're in, if you're a trader and you're in and out of the market short term, sure, the S&P 500 looks pretty bad because it's down 19 point something percent from its peak at the beginning of the year. But it's 30% higher than it was three years ago. And that's where we need to stay focused. That's where everybody needs to stay focused if you're an investor. And I, I'm really quite thrilled in, in 40 years of doing this professionally and uh, 10 years before that of doing it as an investor. This is the best uh, reaction that I have seen from the investing public to a bear market to date. People are not panicking. They are saying, this is cool. We're going to hang in there. And I think, I don't know, we've seen the bottom of it yet, but I think we may have seen the bottom of this bear market at this point. Well, Traditionally, they kind of bottom this time of year. When earlier before the program started, you said something, you were reading it from another story. If this is a recession, it's the most predicted recession that we've ever had. Yes. And this is one of the things about recessions and about the economy in general. If there's a consensus about it, what's happening today and the future, if there is a consensus of the majority of people, it tends to be wrong. Now, it's generally correct as a consensus about the past. This is weird. I know it sounds weird. Generally, people know how well they do, they're doing right now after the fact. And you can see this in your own budget. I mean, you got paid. You got a little bonus this, this month. Um, you feel good about yourself. 
but your spending might go up faster than the bonus this month. And at the end of the month, you go, oh, this wasn't as good a month as I thought it was. And that's the reality of the, of the market in general, of the people in the economy in general. When we look ahead, consumer confidence in a forward-looking way tends to be wrong. Uh, producers' orders tend to be right. If you go to a small business owner and you ask them in a study, in an in a academic study, um, if you ask a whole bunch of business owners what they expect their confidence to be in the future, what, what, what do they think of the confidence of where the economy is going to be for the rest of the year? In the years where they have negative outlooks and they're still hiring, they tend to be wrong. In the years that they have negative outlooks and they're not hiring or they're laying off, they tend to be right. So think about that for a second. If you say, hey, I think the economy is up a stump, but we're doing fine here. We're hiring as fast as we can. That tends to mean that the economy is not up a stump. If you say, I think the economy is up a stump and we're laying people off, that tends to be pretty accurate. And when we look at those numbers right now, people are hiring as fast as they can at the small business level while saying they expect there to be a recession coming up. That tends to mean that they're wrong on the recession part. Now, it doesn't mean that they're wrong. We could have things that would cause us to be in a recession. What we're using is all the numbers we can find to say, this is weird. If we're in a recession, and it's quite possible to measure this as a recession right now, our expectations on the GDP for the second quarter are negative. That means shrinkage. We had negative in the first quarter as well. There's lots of definitions of recession that say that's it. We had one. We have one. We can look at this and say inventory buildup was part of the big growth in the last quarter last year. They bought a bunch of stuff and stocked up their inventory. So we had this crazy high GDP. What was it? 6.9%? Yeah. The end of last year. At the end of last year. And then we had a slight negative in the first quarter. Well, how did that happen? We had this massive run up, oh, run and grow, grow and grow and grow, and then negative all of a sudden. That doesn't feel right to most people's perception of their own job or employment or the economy in general. And the reason is because a big chunk of that growth was companies selling more than usual to each other to build up inventory. And then the first quarter came along, inventories are, are nearing full, so the orders on that stuff drop down. It looks like profitability is dropping. But the reality is much more that they're going to replace that inventory as it gets sold. And long-term, it can be really bad as a, as a bullwhip effect. We've talked about that in the, fa in the past. But it doesn't cause a recession immediately. It causes, uh, if we saw layoffs in the manufacturing world right now, which we are not seeing, or people saying that orders are dropping in manufacturing, we're not seeing that. We would be saying, hey, this looks like a recession. If we saw unemployment rising quickly, we see big headlines about layoffs happening, we're not seeing that. So again, is this a recession? Depends on your definition. There's definitely parts of the economy that are in recession right now, but the majority of the economy is not. So is it a recession? It depends. How many hands do we have? On the other hand... <laughs> there's there's something that's more practical that's... Right down to earth where I'm comfortable with. J.P. Morgan reported its earnings this last week, and it also reported the status of their savings accounts and so on at J.P. Morgan. 
And Morgan Stanley some, did on the same way, but on the same day, by the way, and their numbers are within a percent of each other, which is right. great to look at. JP Morgan, which has 7.5 million bank accounts that they're tracking, which is a lot. The lowest income customers that they have, which are manual laborers and laborers and people who are uh, out of work in many cases, before the pandemic had a median or average bank account balance of $900. Currently, their median is $1,500. No, we've had inflation since then. But, and, and, and but not that much. Not that much. We've got more money in the bank than inflation would say. So, And of course, the upper income people, the difference is even greater. Uh, meaning that we have a tremendous amount of uh, money in reserve held by even the lower income people. Something else, heading into the recessions of 1991, 2001, and 2007, the, his, the percentage of income in, the, in, an American, in, in American households that was uh, used to pay off short-term debt was 17 to 18%. Uh, and so no, I'm not short term, meaning, well, let's, let's take mortgage, car leases, it's, it's long term debt too. So 17 to 18% going into previous recessions was a normal percentage of income that was going to pay debt. It's now to 14% in the United States, which means that we have less debt, we have more money in the bank, uh, we have higher employment than we had before those things do not equate to a recession and, and to, to bring that to something that we say in good economies and bad economies and stumbling and in full sprint economies sounds like i'm dr seuss all of a sudden um this is clear we've told and anybody that's listened to us very long number one priority having short-term savings in the bank, making sure you have your emergency funds taken care of in the event of a downturn in the economy or a loss of a job. Keep your credit card bills low. Pay off your debts. Live within your means. Okay, that's normal stuff that we tell everybody. That's education. It's not even advice anymore because we would give that to anyone. We would say, this is what we say to anyone. Keep your debts down. Have reserves in the bank. Okay. Why do we say that? And we often talk about these old proverbs, the ants and the grasshoppers and, and so on. But if you have a reserve in the bank, it's very much like the <laughs> talking about the power grid of Texas again. If you have reserves in the bank, then when peak demand hits, you have a reserve from when peak demand wasn't there. You have money to take you through the tough time, which means that the, the grocery store doesn't lose sales. You get to keep eating and the grocery store doesn't have to lay anybody off. That means if we have a recession during the time period when a lot more reserves are on hand by almost everybody, the recession's going to be really mild. And if they don't lose their jobs in the middle of it, it doesn't meet the kind of normal common sense def definition of a recession at all. It just means things got expensive for a bit. So that's what we're looking at is that we're, if this is a recession, it's going to be the best recession ever. And that's not saying, how do you make a best? I guess we have one of those. It's called the Great Recession. It was, a, it was really great. It was really great. No, I didn't like it at all. I have a problem with the guy that named it that. Um, I'm, I'm going to put a... Well, he's probably the grandkid of the, somebody who named the Great Depression. Right. I, I need to go and file a complaint somewhere right. for the guy that did that. Or gal. It could have been a gal. 
We don't know yeah. who named it the Great Recession. Could be. But I wanted to add one other thing okay, about uh, annuities. Uh, I'm, I'm down on annuities. Yes, I am. FINRA has issued a warning on deferred income annuities in 401ks. And you should probably read it if you, before getting one. Why? Once you hand over the money, you put it into the deferred income annuity, you can get to the rest of your 401k in an emergency. You get laid off or you're injured or you're sick or whatever. You can get to the rest of your 401k. But unless you pay for a rider, which is relatively expensive, on your deferred income annuity in your 401k, you can't get to the money when you can get to the rest of the money. Um, your heirs, if you die before the age when you would have taken the annuity, don't get anything. It is not adjusted for inflation. And as I said earlier when I was talking about this, the guarantee of future payments is only as good as the insurance company backing them. There's nothing backs it. So be very, very careful about buying an annuity inside a 401k. They look very attractive because they don't appear to go up and down, but there's some significant issues there. And FINRA has a really good warning out about it uh, on their website, FINRA Insights Deferred Income Annuities. Anyway, that's all I want to do now. But we need to tell you that this is the Personal Wealth Coach. And the Personal Wealth Coach is not only the name of a radio program that you may or may not have been listening to, it is also the name of a registered investment advisory firm where we manage people's investment portfolios and we advise them. We, matter of fact, we call ourselves a wealth management firm, don't yes, we? Family, and you can reach us wealth management. on the weekend. We have voicemail, but during the week, we don't even have a phone tree. We have live people answering the phone and the local telephone number is 254-947-1111. Toll free. That's 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. Or you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. We've got newsletters that you can peruse that go back into the dawn of time or at least into uh, several years ago. Uh, you can also listen to radio programs that go back a long ways. You can sign up for our newsletter there. We'll send it to your email directly so you don't have to go to that pesky webpage. Uh, you can contact us through the contact form or directly through email at uh, jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. And you can find us wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.